to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. I'm Sarah Braley, North Star's Managing Editor, and I'm here today with Liz Warwick, who runs her own industry consulting business and spent many years directing meetings at Liberty Mutual Insurance Group and Coca-Cola. Liz is also currently chair of the Events Industry Council 2020 Meeting and Event Redesign Works stream, which supports EIC's 2020-21 COVID-19 Business Recovery Task Force. If you don't know much about the EIC, it is an umbrella organization for the meetings industry that represents more than 30 global organizations such as PCMA, MPI, and ASAE. Thank you for joining us today, Liz. I understand you've been instrumental in creating a code of conduct for the industry that incorporates personal practices for attendees at events during the pandemic. Tell me about the genesis of the new code of conduct. Sure, and and thank you, Sally, for inviting me to be a part of this podcast. So the genesis is that when we really looked at the meeting and event design, which is what my team was charged with as part of the EIC, we saw that there had been a shift in how responsibility is shared for meetings being held safely. In the past, it's been basically a the hosting organization and the venue where it's held owned 100% of the responsibility of creating a healthy environment. But when my team working at EIC looked at this, we realized that things had changed in a period of COVID where we needed attendees to take ownership of their own health in contributing that to the meeting, overall meeting health. So that's where the conversation started and we developed it from there. We all think that the the hotel is cleaning every surface, but we don't think about the fact that we all have our own responsibility now. That's right. And, and it's, it is really interesting because when our team was talking about it, we thought, wow, why weren't we actually doing this earlier, even before COVID, whether it was during Zika or during any time, it's just a really sound health and safety, good practice. Flu season. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to wear a mask on planes for the rest of my life. I don't know. <laughs> Scary thought. Yeah. Right? Well, just to keep, just to keep Yeah, healthy, no, right? exactly. So we felt like we wanted to make a statement that attendees had to be willing to engage in their own monitoring their own health, and also enrolling it out in a three-stage process, which I can explain a little bit later. Well, why in a three-stage process? Well, the right now, the thought is that the sign-up for the code of conduct would be part of a registration system, and that just as you would register for any meeting, and you would potentially sign up for a hotel or for uh, breakouts of business sessions, we want you to read the code of conduct, and it can be customized for your organization, and basically subscribe to it, agree to what it says. And so it wasn't enough just to do that in the registration step. We wanted you to, before you left home, you know, make sure whether it's taking your temperature or really just taking a general health check for yourself to make sure you're feeling okay, and not get in a car or go to the airport if you're not feeling okay. So there's check, step one is checking in at home. How are you feeling before you depart on your trip? 
And step two would be, okay, before you actually go into the hotel as a meeting attendee, how are you feeling? Just another check again, because there might be a little bit of a time lapse between when you left home and when you arrived at the hotel. So how are you check feeling now? And our willingness to enroll, if you will, in whatever the practices and protocols are that the meeting host has put in place. So that might be a temperature scan. It might be hand sanitization stations in different places. It might be that, you know, you're sitting not, you know, crammed into a six foot banquet table in a general session, but you're six or eight feet apart from the next person so that you're willing to participate and support the protocols that have been put in place by the meeting host. So that would be step number two when you're on site. And the step number three, finally, is after the meeting is over and you're back home, how are you feeling then? You know, because you might, if you have, you know, in transit going back home, if you were exposed to the virus and you got it, we, the host hosting organization would want to know about it. So we would want you to contact, there would be a person that you would be advised of during the meeting if you ended up being sick and contracting the virus when you were home and within 14 days of being home, we would want you to notify the lead planner or a member of the staff of the hosting organization. So that's the three-step process. This brings up actually a different question that I had, which is I think that, you know, when we talk about things that have to do with the EIC, we think we're just talking about the meetings industry and the, you know, all these organizations. But the truth of the matter is we want this code of conduct to be used by everyone. So how are you getting that message out? Yeah, so that's a really good point because if if you want to create a secure bubble, let's say, whether that's within the hotel or wherever you're having the venue that you're using, then you have to make sure that everybody who's in that environment is sort of buying by the same rules. So one of the things we're suggesting is not necessarily a code of conduct with the, let's say it's a hotel, but in your agreement with the hotel and the contract, there can be clauses put in place that address health and safety practices in the hotel. And whether that's on check-in or you know, the meeting itself or food and beverage stations, all of those can be spelled out as a part of the contract or an addendum to an existing contract to make sure that everyone in the hotel community that you're dealing with is subscribing to those protocols specific to people serving the meeting attendees. So that's how we would address it there. If there's third parties involved, let's say an outside AV company or maybe an entertainer or something else, you could basically take and adapt the same components that would be part of the hotel's contract for employees servicing the meeting. And you could really adjust those as needed to take care of any other contractors that are working to support the the event. And how are you getting the, the message that this code of conduct is available to the meeting planning world at large so that that the use of it goes beyond our industry, that it goes to med pharma, that it goes to, you know, every other type of meeting that is going to be taking place. You know, there's probably two answers to that. One is from the EIC perspective, their mission is to really be the curators of information and to provide work that's done by their teams as a resource to the meeting and event industry and all the sister companies and organizations, if you will, that are part of that much larger global community. When you go beyond that, 
it's, it's really up to individual companies and resources to put their own protocols in place and best practices. And I would say just from the work I'm doing, not just with the EIC, but with other organizations that are global in nature, it's happening everywhere. And, and there isn't actually one model, whether it's the code of conduct or meeting design or um, venue redesign work, you know, to take into consideration social distancing. There isn't one master playbook, unfortunately, for everyone. So you have to almost adapt some of the best practices to how it suits your organization or your particular situation. In some ways, that's the beauty of it. It's got adaptability and flexibility um, to be adapted. And I would say that the EIC has on their website, the code of conduct basically creates a, the document you'll see there is a two-pager that's a framework, but it guides you to, if, you, if you're an organization that doesn't actually have a code of conduct and you don't really know where to start, there's examples that you can pull from to do your own. I don't know if it's helpful. I can give you the number of downloads of the code of conduct because it's pretty impressive. 17,500 downloads of the code of conduct information. Wow. Yeah. So after it went live on EIC, they didn't actually want to push out one particular code of conduct because they really wanted each organization to do their own, but they wanted to give you a framework with prompts to help you design it. And so that's there on the EIC website, both the framework and some specific examples to draw from. Just as a note, if you want to find the document, you just have to Google EIC code of conduct and it exactly. pops right up at the top of the page and you can just click there and you'll get to what we're talking about. And um, I will tell you that I just did that just to make sure that if I you were going to ask me that, I was like, <laughs> not going to go, oh no, you have to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's too hard to come up with the whole HTTP and things like yeah. that. If you just Google it, it's going right. to be right there. How do you think vaccines are going to play into this? I think it's going to be huge because even with the evolving science that's happened and people having more of an understanding of the progress of the vac- the virus and how it's being addressed country by country, I think the needle is going to start to move towards face-to-face meetings again when there's more of a herd immunity and that isn't going to happen until people get the vaccine. So I think the numbers are you know, depending on who you're listening to on television or in print or somewhere, the numbers are somewhere between 75 and 85% on herd immunity, let's just say in the United States. And so I think people, attendee, meeting attendee sentiment can't be undervalued because even with the best protocols and the best practices and people's commitment to fill out a code of conduct and everything else, there still has, there's an emotional piece that meeting attendees have and the variable of what's their home situation. You know, they might have an elderly parent or a child, kids at home who are not in school and, you know, they're not able to attend the meeting. So what does that mean? Or there's some people that feel like, I know when I get to the hotel, I'm going to be in a safe environment and I know my organization will create a safe meeting but I'm not sure about what it's going to be like from my home to the hotel. So there's a lot of emotion that's wrapped into, I think, people's decision-making process. And I think we 
as planners have to provide communicate really clear communication about how the steps we're putting in place to minimize risk and exposure and create a health and safety environment. And then we need the attendees to enroll in the code of conduct to help support that health and safety and safe environment. Do you think this gives planners, I don't want to say a weapon, but, you know, a support to, you know, to deal with an attendee who doesn't want to wear a mask or who is not following the protocols in other ways? So a number of people have asked that question about what if you have an attendee who doesn't want to wear a mask? I, I think if you, the hosting organization has to make a decision at a leadership level, whether it's corporate or nonprofit or whoever the hosting organization is of what are they putting in place as protocols to create the environment? The more you erode those protocols and allow exceptions, the more you're breaking down the integrity of the system. So it really has to, I think the hosting organization has to hold um, a firm line on this is what we're putting in place. If you want to attend the meeting, this is what you have to do. And, And that's it. There's no exceptions. You know, so that's the point of view of a lot of people also in terms of, I don't want to get into the liability situation of bringing people back. But I think the more protocols you can keep in place at a whole, you know, for the entire organization, the better off it is. When you start to have people that, you know, go by their own rules, it's it's just, it erodes the process. It's an interesting time, isn't it? Is there anything I've forgotten? You know, the industry, even though it's been incredibly hard hit, is working their way through it. We are making progress. I think it's in baby steps. And I think we have to just continually monitor the changes that are occurring in the science, the changes that are happening in state and country regulations, and do our best to be flexible and adaptable in managing the risk as well as we can. And that might mean in some cases, there isn't a meeting, it's virtual, or it's hybrid. You know, that's each organization has to decide what their risk threshold is and evaluate what it is in their particular situation to make decisions. But overall, the industry is making progress. That's kind of the message is industry is making progress. Let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, great, Liz. Thank you so much for your time. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon. 